You're listening to 1001 Album Club, where each episode we discuss a different album from Robert Demery's book, 1001 Albums You Must Hear Before You Die. talking about rush 2112 on the line i have rob oil ben hey dude and john we only stop for the best 2112 is the fourth studio album by canadian rock band rush released on the 1st of april 1976 or march of 1976 according to some other sources um by anthem records the producer was rush Terry Brown, and the genre is progressive rock and progressive metal, I guess, by some. I'm going to read from All Music Review, Greg Prato. Whereas Rush's first two releases, their self-titled debut and Fly By Night, helped create a buzz among hard rock fans worldwide, the more progressive third release, Caress of Steel, confused many of their supporters. Rush knew it was now or never with their fourth release, and they delivered just in time. 1976's 2112 proved to be their much sought after commercial breakthrough and it remains one of their most popular albums. Instead of choosing between prog rock and heavy rock, both sides are merged together to create an interesting and original approach. The entire first side is comprised of the classic title track, which paints a chilling portrait of the future world where technology is in control. Comprised of seven sections, the track proved that the trio members were fast becoming rock's most accomplished instrumentalists. The second side contained shorter sections, such as the Middle Eastern-flavored A Passage to Bangkok and the album-closing rocker Something for Nothing. 2112 is widely considered by Rush fans as their first true classic album, the first in a string of similarly high-quality albums. All right, what do we think of 2112 by Rush? First time listening to it. Whoa. Same. 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 Yeah. yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. This is some uh, some pretty cool rush here. Yeah. I'm into it. I, uh, this was like a <laughs> funny thing is this one was sort of like banned in my household because it looked uh, satanic because of the red <laughs> star yeah. on the cover. Yeah. And like, it's uh, not for Satan. It's for the solar Federation, mom. Obviously. <laughs> duh. Obviously. I get it. I've even listened to 2112, the overture. <laughs> Have you not listened to all 21, 34 <laughs> seconds? <laughs> but uh, it was, uh, my brother had it and it was cool. Like this and permanent waves uh, in moving pictures, my brother had all those and I sort of went into a spiral of rush. It's, it's where I was introducing this prog expand your mind, sort of pink Floyd and rush were kind of my, uh, cornerstones, I guess, of this type of music. I could you see could do that. worse. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, in rush, like they, they flavor the, the hard to, to swallow prog with like, 
some solid rock, like heavy metal, like kind of edge, but their prog is nerdy as all balls. Like they don't, they don't shy away from getting obscure, but it's got just enough of like some hard rock to pull me off of like, you know, Genesis is the lamb lies down on Broadway. Like there's good riffing in here. Yeah. There's some solid riffing, man. I wrote down. Oh, sorry. No, I was just going to say you, you're, you hit it right on the head for me personally is that Genesis stuff was just too far into this like unrocked territory where rush is a coat, like a very concise it's really proggy. It's super, you know, nerd sci-fi fantasy stuff. But at the very, very base, it's it's complete just rock. It's rock and roll. <clears throat> Did anyone else find it uh, interesting that like uh, Tarkus before uh, before before twenty one twelve that a twenty minute. 20 plus minute statement uh, that takes up the entire side of a record and thematically makes no sense with lyrics is, uh, is on both of these. Um, I, I like it. Do you think like it doesn't it. make Lyric- sense? I, mean, I think lyrically it's fucking stupid. It's stupid, so, but it, it does. T- it tells a cohesive story. It has, say, it has it a does, plot. Yeah. It has a plot though. You don't it need feel- drawings of a robotic armadillo going into the water and fighting a pterodactyl to understand what's happening. Though it would make Fair. it better. It would it make would it better, make if, it better. They, if they drew it, out the Galactic Federation and the priests of Syrinx. You're not wrong. All the story I'm, is uh, telling is silly. All, uh, it, 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 <laughs> I, I can't disassociate what they're doing from the movie Battlefield Earth, though. Like, And I know that's that's wrong. I know it's wrong. I know it's wrong on multiple levels, Birch. And I, I no one else can see your face. I can see your face, though. I understand that that hurts you. But, like, it's stupid sci-fi in that way. Like, it's so fucking dumb. Oh, I found a guitar in the cave. Oh, oh, priest, what is this thing? Like, ah, it's so fucking stupid. It, so it took dumb. me until... T- today was, like, probably my third or fourth listen, and... Uh, the chapter of of twenty one twelve that you're referring to, where he finds the guitar in the cave, is uh, they call it discovery. It's the third of seven. And what, on my first and second listen, I did not know sonically why Alex Lifeson chose to just tune his guitar for the first minute <laughs> of the song. But na- but now, like, uh, uh, it took me three listens. But now, like, I'm as I'm getting the story, I'm like, oh. So he found that guitar in the cave, and of course it's out of tune. So he's got to tune that guitar. And, and, and then now, he's got to play some like the best guitarist in the world. Right. Well, first he plays through a couple yeah. like simple chords, and then he can learn to play. Yeah. 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 It's a progression. Like, it's a story. Yeah. Exactly. Ugh. You know. You know. He knows that his music will move you. <laughs> I'm surprised, Rob. That uh, I I feel like you you kind of had a similar vibe when we talked about Tommy about it being kind of like oh this is a dumb story. But at the same time, you love stuff like Godspell and all the, the kind of like, <laughs> I, lo- I love Godspell and I beg your fucking pardon. I love Godspell. I love Jesus Christ Superstar. Thank you very much. I love fucking Godspell. Get out of here with your baloney. Get out of here with this nonsense. Fucking drag my name through the dirt, motherfucker. Wait, are you telling me that those are two different things? Oh my gosh. <laughs> day by day. Ugh, day by day. Day by day. No, and 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 I don't mean to 
I don't mean to harp on it, but like, it's just for, for as big as the music is like lyrically, it lacks, I guess is, is, is my, 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 my point. And it, I, I don't know if you guys were familiar with that Bloomington band, Cadmium Orange, uh, Jason Gross, like first I, I uh, band. Yeah. Um, this remind like their magnum opus was the Serpent of Rock and Roll. Um, <laughs> and like it's an entire like musical story arc of uh, killer clowns from outer space and then how the Serpent of Rock and Roll rises up and like uh, kills it like, and protects everyone. Um this reminds me of that. I actually wanted to ask Jason if he like if they had taken anything from twenty one twelve when they were writing the Serpent of Rock and Roll. Um, but yeah, just just lyrically, it's lacking, and I, it's not it's not as if Rush doesn't have great lyrics later on, and even like later on in this r- record, honestly. Um, and I, I just you know Neil per- Pierte 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 Pierte. Like, um, like your peers plus the letter T. Man, yeah, I, think, me, me, I, I don't know. I don't know about that, man. <laughs> that's a, that's I, don't know. A, I think your sister lied to you. That way you'd sound like an <laughs> asshole on a podcast. I don't know. She, 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 that'd be a deep goof. She's on some, she's on some rush message boards. So I trusted her. But, uh, but if she, if she did me wrong, I'm coming for you, Rebecca. This is, this is over. But I, I guess, uh, and not to hog the mic any more than I absolutely need to uh, lyrically, the song lacks for me. And it's not as if I don't know rush has good lyrics in the future or even on the rest of this record. It's just, you know, it's, it, it was just a very big song, a very big idea. And I just found, I found the story to be kind of dumb. So yeah. And let's, the end. Let's, let's talk about the story. So I, I, I think that I kind of understand the story, but I've got some questions. So this takes place in the year 2112, where a conglomerate called the Solar Federation is in charge of things, and and the people at the the Temple of Syrinx are kind of like uh, like the the religious leaders, like the 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 whisper worms of uh, of this this society. Yep. So then our hero. Uh, he finds a guitar in a cave, uh, takes a minute to tune it, uh, learns how to play it, gets really excited really about well. it. Yeah, oh, he can shred. It's it's like he's been playing for a minute. Uh, he takes it back to the temple of Syrinx to play it for, for, for these dudes, and he's so excited. And they're like, oh, no, man, we already know about that. That's dumb. You don't want that. That's stupid. And so then he has a dream and then he kills himself, which, okay, so far I, I, I'm along with it a little bit. But then, like, so the grand finale section of, of this opus is mostly instrumental. But then at the very end, you hear this announcement and it says, like, attention, all planets of the Solar Federation, we have assumed control. Who's this broadcast coming from? Is it coming from? It's a mystery. The- that's the Hitchcock twist, baby. Yeah, you got Shamaland. Is the guitar in control? Like, uh, I don't. Uh, I, I think is the it, concept is, is it is this like a a, a a a is this a character that is just now being introduced? Like, oh, you thought we were talking about this story, but it's actually the Quebulons who are in control. <laughs> you know, <laughs> there's two different ways of looking at it from the 
mythos of 2112. One is that there is another uh, bigger conglomerate that is invading them and oppressing them. So that do they like guitar? This is just who knows. But this is just like one level. The Federation is now being like controlled by another, you know, bigger entity or something like that. The other explanation is that it's they're being liberated by either him coming back to life as sort of like a savior of rock and roll situation or that they have like lit like it's a revolt. Uh, They're saying like we've taken over, we've taken the capital and and now we're, we're no longer living by it. Uh, machines and uh, technology. I like that story better than Inception Oppression. Right. Yeah. <laughs> the, 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 I think you thought idea... you were impressed by these guys, but these guys are right. impressed by these guys. Yeah. <laughs> layers like... upon layers of things that suck. But no, I think the second you're, idea is the, is the idea. Oppressed. Right. Because because you got the you got the image on the back of the album, which is the guy sort of the naked star man sort of you know. Putting Waiting a hand in the against, sky, right? He's putting his hand against the star, which sem- symbolizes the Federation. You know, kind of like, you know, moving through and against it, the individual against the collaborative. But and he that's, dies, I, right? Yeah, in the story, whoever you want to call it, the guy who finds the guitar, the hero, the hero does kill himself. Yeah, but I think the I, the, I think the the thread is once you spark fire of the individual, the revolution begins, regardless of whether or not the person who found fire dies. In that case, I believe this story is missing a chapter oh, where yeah. <laughs> he shows someone other than the priests of Syria. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> he needs to sh- because if he just takes it to them, they're like, "No, fuck you!" And then he's like, "All well, right, I'll kill myself." Maybe the maybe and the like, priests of Stinks like left guitars in caves all over and just like I don't care. <laughs> like you know, they're just over there waiting to be found. So somebody also, else it, should, it should be mentioned that this year is in ninety-two years, and in this current timeline. Theoretically, there'd be people that know what guitars are. Uh, that, like, people that are born this year are going to be 92 in 2112. And guitars are still here. You forgot about time dilation and space travel. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. You forgot about Carousel, where we kill yeah. all the old people, like in Logan's oh, Run. Oh, yeah. Yep. I forgot about yep. Logan's Run. Yep. yep. You forgot about Uranus and the, uh, <laughs> the, the time dilation that happens. <laughs> in Uranus. <laughs> like side one of this record uh i, I like the opus 2112 i that's yeah, awesome i've got i've got i've got an umbrage if this side of the album was 38 seconds longer it'd be 21 minutes and 12 seconds long i know and that is such a missed opportunity even kiss would have just played like a backwards party for 38 seconds you know <laughs> like like no one cares what you do but when this song's done i need the time on my player clock to say 2112 it's true well, so it's 1976 do you have anything that that tells you the time that you played oh like tape machines will, will keep track of seconds 
Okay, and yeah, we've got eight tracks and stuff at this time, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. And and feel, often yeah. on the back of albums, it will for DJs and stuff, it'll oh, say how so long songs time. are. So yeah. if it said 2112, 2112, as opposed to 2112, like 2038, whatever, you yeah. know, like, like I forget what, it, what, what it, I can't math. do the reverse math really quick. 20, 20, but I know it's 30, yeah, 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 it's 38 seconds shot. So, uh, syrinx fact do any of you know what a syrinx is? I had no idea. I had to look I it do up. Not. I do not. Uh, a syrinx is the uh, name for the pan pipes. Oh, no shit. Yeah. So, there was a nymph. No, they're fine with those, but not guitars. Well, I think it's like a kind of a it's thing that about wires that vibrate. Right. They're the gods of like controlling expression or whatever, or they're the, the priests of controlling expression. So you don't get to play guitar music or any music because <clears throat> you suck. So did anybody else read uh, where uh, Neil Pert got the inspiration for these lyrics? I Pierre Tay? from, am I pronouncing Ayn Rand's name? It's Ayn. Ayn. Ayn Rand. Ayn. Yeah. I mean, and they gave her a shout out on the album. Oh, they sure did. I thought yeah. that was interesting. Ugh. I, I thought it was interesting that they presented that and they said, here's the here's the inspiration of of an idea. And everyone just said, oh, you're a huge fan then. Right. And they had to kind of walk back from yeah, I mean, well, what, they, what, what was the actual credit, though? Like it, 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 it they gave her the cr- the credit of it, it's the credit of a huge fan. Like it doesn't just say well, it says the genius of Ayn Rand. And I would say that's huge fan language. <laughs> so but. And I think I think over time they've walked back their Ayn Rand fandom. Like, and the problem is with a lot of sci-fi, and we'll just go sideways on this for a hot second. Uh, there can be interesting ideas, but then they can get perverted in ways that are not cool. Like, you know, H.P. Uh, Lovecraft's a fucking racist. Orson Scott Card's a piece of shit. Uh, uh, fucking An- Ayn Rand eventually became an anthem for douchebag libertarians. Like. You know, it can get bad ways. I think they just took the idea from her story Anthem, which is about, you know, uh, a world in which individualism is crushed by, you know, uh, a machine controlled collective. And they were like, oh, that's cool. Because like, that's cool. Like board school. Yeah. But then it just went sideways. In 1976, did did Ayn Rand's name carry the same like social political weight that it does now? All right. No. That, that that I don't think that came up until like the fucking like nineties to be totally honest. Yeah. Like when when it started to be like a rallying call, like we all had to fucking read Fountainhead or some other one of her nonsense, like in high school or like uh, middle school. Um, and yeah, it, like it, it reads cool when you're a kid, but then with as an adult, it it doesn't quite you know it doesn't stand up very well. At all. Yeah. I mean, but to call Rush like right wing is so stupid because, like, no, Eddie Lee's parents are Holocaust survivors. Like, get your shit together, people. (laughs) You know, like, that's crazy. Who was calling them right wing? Uh, I think people did. Like, there was some. uh, They got they got blowback. NME uh, like called them out for being basically for. Yeah. Uh, for, for having extremist uh, ideals because of this, and w- but like, what year did Enemy do that? Was it was like twenty years later? No, it was like oh, seventy-seven. 77. 77. Oh, yeah, shit. Written. Then I don't oh, know what wow. the fuck I'm talking about. Wow. Yeah. Never mind. I don't know. I don't know a goddamn thing. Yeah. Uh, 
but we can talk about things that they do like, like smoking weed. Yeah, <laughs> let's talk about Passage to Bangkok, a song that I really like, except for one part. Is it? Yeah, yeah. that pentatonic. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that very stereotypical. It's a bad choice. I don't know if it sounded great at the time. It did not age well. And the song absolutely doesn't need it. That riff at the beginning. That's the riff you want. You you, you don't need that, yeah. that pentatonic, like stereotypical, like oriental sounding. There's no need to melody. throw that in. I find that it's one of the like, it's like my, uh, uh, bell in pet sounds, you know, like the, the uh, bike bell, yeah, the honker <laughs> yeah. or something. It's something that is just thrown in there, and you're like, why? How could you do it? It, it just it's so you know we're singing about Bangkok, dude. Bangkok. It takes you totally out of the the rock and roll or the the song structure yeah. and just presents something that is it just doesn't it, make any sense. I don't know if they meant it as a goof, but oh yeah, a, a, at least in 2020, it doesn't play well. I don't think it would it would sound that great in '76. <laughs> I, I don't I don't know. I, I I've thrown Hava Nagila into a sump pump song before. I, I I don't know if that's appropriation or not. <laughs> that's at least an actual song. Yeah, if it's if it's a party or something, I think I, as a person who has listened to much uh, of Hava Nagila, I'm fine with that. If the song's about a party, yeah. I'm not, I'm not offended by that. It wasn't. It was about an acid trip gone bad. But <laughs> well, I mean, that's well, also that could play like, into it. Yeah, exactly. It's it's a it's a concept on the theme. Yeah, but there's nothing to the bitty ding 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 ding. There's nothing to no, it. No, there is. It, it completely <laughs> is just over top the music. It doesn't even integrate. That's that's the my biggest problem too. Is it doesn't integrate in that song at all. It's just literally mm-hmm. like someone hit a, uh, what are those, soundboard? Like someone has uh, it on a soundboard yeah. and just pushed a well, button. That is it's an like, important Whoa. thing because... It's like Bugs Bunny shows up in a rice paddy hat for a second. You know, like... That is it, an it, important it's... thing to note. <laughs> because Getty Lee does play keyboards with samples by his feet. That's true. So, at this point... Uh, no, not... that does come a little bit later, I think. Yeah, but, yeah, but no, not the... too far from here. Sampling was not quite to the point where it needs to be for Gailey to be able to, <laughs> the, the amount of space that would have taken up on that sampler that existed at this point in time, just for that goof. <laughs> that goof takes away from you noticing that at 145 in that track, there's a cool spacey, like taking a toke noise. <laughs> oh, is there really? Yeah. At 145 Dude. on that track. <laughs> so, you know, uh, it's about uh, weed. <laughs> other than, other than uh, just like, I'm just going to call it Oriental riff number one. Uh, other than that, I do like the song. I, I think it rocks musically, and I think it's at least interesting lyrically it, it, as a road trip of all the different places that are famous for weed. Like, sure, sure, I like yeah. it. it. It rocks. <laughs> <laughs> so lyrically, what do you think of like the Twilight Zone? Like, I don't think that it's a bad song. It's not bad. It's not a standout. No, it's for me. not great, but yeah, it's it's hard for them to put down solid lyrics on this album for some reason, which they, they get over later. I do like that their, their influences are on their sleeves so much throughout this album. Like we like, we like Ayn Rand. We like smoking weed. We like the twilight zone show <laughs> and, and some other things. Yeah. Also, it's interesting uh, that the, the track, the twilight zone, 
is specifically about two different episodes of the Twilight Zone. <laughs> yeah, like first great. one is the first one is just a recap of one of the episodes, and first two is a recap of a different episode. <laughs> it's brilliant, but that is a good point, Ben. That they're like, oh, we're gonna wear this on our sleeve because this album was like the do or die for their record company. They're like, we need you guys to make a commercial album. They're like, nope, no. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite too is their manager. They basically straight up lied to the uh, record label and they're like yeah the band is working on a great record it's gonna be a real commercial success the, the, you know the songs are real straightforward don't worry about it <laughs> and then when they delivered it it was like they already had the deal they had already like pushed it out and they had you know full control over it so they couldn't do anything well, luckily it, it luckily it did well or yeah that would have been the last we heard of rush yeah it uh sold uh, 35,000 and over 200,000 copies uh, from Canada. And then, U- sorry, Canada was 35 and U.S. was 200,000 copies. It was a mate that, yeah, it sold. Yeah, I mean, it lot. doesn't really have a single off of it, right? I mean, there's like, there's not oh, something no. that really hit no, the... No, there's not a radio hit on here. No. Yeah. That's what, that comes later, I mean, I too. I think they took, like, crazy. chunks, like, uh, one of the parts out of 2112 or whatever, the Temple of Syrinx or something, I think maybe, like, got a little radio play, but not not much. Yeah, what do you do with an album like that? That just doesn't have a... Uh, the singles were Twilight Zone and, yeah, the Temples. Yep. Oh, that makes sense. That is the rocker of that movement. And I, and I think it is on this album that Getty Lee develops his like uh, falsetto, like shred voice, you know, which oh, I really yeah. Enjoy. What about the voice of Getty Lee? How did it get so high? I wonder oh, if I he speaks like an ordinary guy. <laughs> I know him. He does. <laughs> what is that from? Pavement. Uh, pavement. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> watch that rush documentary uh yeah where they always have uh steve winwood shirts it, well, yeah, <laughs> they have, like it, three it, different <laughs> steve winwood shirts i think it's the same one it just travels from person to person like getty lee's wearing it for a while then his girlfriend's wearing it yeah. then some other dude's wearing it <laughs> i have not seen that it's a, it's a really good it's a good documentary man. yeah it's pretty fun and then it, it talks about how they get so in their heads and so like progressive that they just completely lose all focus. Like in the eighties, they just go completely off the rails with synth and synthesizers. I am so impressed though, that they're, they're literally the dads of rock. They don't, they don't rock like, you know, it's not dad rock, but they literally are like, yeah, it's like, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, we'll just uh, go back to the hotel and watch some TV and go to bed, read a book. Like, they are not the party, you know, guys. They toured with all these people who would always try to get them to party, and they're just like, yeah, no thanks. We're cool. Gotta watch some Twilight Zone, read some Ayn Rand. (laughs) I mean, I think they've moved away from that. I think Getty Lee's into wine now. Like, I think he just has a huge wine collection. (laughs) Yeah, he's he's a dad. He's a a well-to-do Canadian dad. I believe that's, it. That's one of the biggest thing things I got out of the uh, 
documentary because usually those documentaries are all about the the tales of debauchery and madness (laughs) on on like the tour and every single person is talking about how they were they'd get wasted every night and then like rush would show up right on time for sound check and completely (laughs) blow the roof off (laughs) (laughs) it's the canadian way (laughs) well you can show up right on time if you've got that good night's sleep the night before you know (laughs) hit the road early (laughs) bitter patter yeah right right (laughs) i know there's more bands from canada um but we we won't be getting to anvil right (laughs) the story of anvil Anvil in the book i would doubt it we'll get some brian adams probably yeah waking up this neighbor's I don't know, man. I couldn't tell you. I would hope. I would hope not. I would I reckon. It. Oh, I was right age for it when it came out, and I had it, and I still don't <laughs> think it should be in the book. <laughs> I'd recommend everybody give give that Anvil documentary a uh, a look as well, as well as the uh, the Rush documentary. Since we're, I'm only talking about Canadian bands right now. Yeah. Uh, ultimately, though. Yeah. What do you think, Rob? Man. Uh, I think 2112 is a fucking cool song with some silly lyrics. I like it a lot. And then on top of that, I liked a passage to Bangkok. I liked lessons and I liked uh, something for nothing. So I'm going to give it a positive. This is a cool record. I'm going to pretty much echo Rob there. Uh, As far as uh, album side length tracks go, I think 2112 is a cool opus, Uh, especially musically. Uh, it doesn't really bother me lyrically. It's just, you know, it's just your, your it, lyrically, it's your run of the mill prog rock sci-fi, which I'm fine. I'm fine with that. Uh, Give me the sword for their, their fucking prog rock sci-fi. That, I love that album. I, I, I like it a little deeper. I'm just saying. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, I do. I, I, I do. I prefer, I prefer the story of warp riders to the story of 2112, but I do like the track 2112. I, I like Passage to Bangkok, the exception of that riff. Uh, Twilight Zone's fine. Lessons is fine. I like Something for Nothing. Uh, a, a positive for me, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to go positive across the board. Um, I'm one of three children. My sister's six years older than me, and she's a gigantic Rush fan. And so, like, having a bedroom across a hallway from her, just hearing Rush pour out of her bedroom all the time, and it's, it's had an effect on me and I like it, you know, like even objectively taking it now just on a, on a pure listen without that nostalgia. I think it's a good album. Um, it's not perfect. Like, you know, some of it is a little dumb. Some of the lyrics don't necessarily stack up, but there's some really cool musical shit happening on 2112 passage to Bangkok. Uh, the, the, the tracks that we talked about twilight zone, something for nothing. Um, so I'm, I'm definitely going to give it a positive. And of course, this is also the ship that launched rush being able to do what the fuck they want with their later albums, which, which really, which really get better. Yeah. Total positive for me. This is sort of the first, I guess, essential rush album. I, I feel like the others are, are good, but this one kind of brings it all home. It sort of introduces the creativity of the prog rush that we kind of all know the court the changes and the sort of like i don't know it just feels more connected i guess it's cool i mean it's like a rock and roll the fact that they're a trio always just blows 
my mind too. That just, I don't quite understand how that's ever possible. And then to do these like long extended proggy stuff that, I mean, we've, we've gone over these prog bands before and somehow Rush is able to fill it out with, with only, you know, three people is just incredible. That's, that's amazing to sort of feel like there's a ton going on there. I mean, there's so much going on, but at the same time, not very many people on stage. It's cool. Yeah. Rush fan. I'm going to, um, I'm just looking up, uh, what other, if we get, are we getting moving pictures? Yeah. That's what I would assume. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, We're getting moving pictures. We're not going to get permanent waves, which is disappointing because that has spirit of the radio free will. Um, yeah. Some of the other all the time, like, if you choose not to yeah. decide, you still have made a choice. Yeah. <laughs> Moving Pictures, Jeez. though, <laughs> it makes sense. Moving pi- Pictures was the, their other big hit, their other big seller with Tom Sawyer and uh, YYZ. Uh, next time we'll be talking about Georgie Ben, Africa, uh, Brazil. <laughs> <laughs>